probably wondering, like, who is this kook and what did he get his education from and that type of thing. And sometimes it's probably good. Uh, I am actually a graduate of Huntington University. I don't know if you know where that is. It's in Indiana. Um, and I'm also a graduate of their graduate school. After that, I also finished a degree from uh, Weinbrenner, which is in Ohio. Some of you may know where Finley is, Finley, Ohio. It's part of Finley University's um, seminary. And then I also finished up um, what they call a, M a Master's of Divinity Equivalency, which means I picked up the rest of my classes to finish my MDiv and so that I could begin what they would call doctoral work, which probably will never happen. So, um, so that may help you understand that um, I still probably am a kook, but I'm a kook that uh, paid a lot of money to get his education finished. So um, interesting enough, uh, the, I had to take three classes at Wesley Seminary, which is where I finished. Um, those three classes cost me more than all of my graduate education from the other two. So uh, yeah, you can imagine it's um, it's not very cheap to get that all done, but uh, we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. It's what I tell my kids. I told them and I continue to tell them academics is where it's at. If you want to get through college with as little debt as possible, you better keep your grades up. Um, so want to go to seminary, come to my church. Yeah, that would be good if they pay for it. Um, is it? What seminary? It's our it's our own church's three year program. Okay, good. And it's complete. Wow. It's three All years. right. Yeah, it's it's a lengthy period of time for sure. Um, anyway, so yesterday uh, we talked a little bit about the beast out of the sea. Remember, if you go back, um, Satan mimics everything that God does. So because we have the Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Satan mimics that. So we've got Satan, you've got the false, or the Antichrist, the false prophet. All of them mimic the very same person that they are, like the Antichrist mimics Christ. The false prophet, you'll see, mimics the Holy Spirit, and so on and so forth. So he can't come up with anything original, so he mimics what God has already done. So we talked about the beast out of the sea, that's the Antichrist, and I gave you a real brief description of that individual, and then we get into the next one, which is called the beast out of the earth. Um, this is called the false prophet, or this person is called the false prophet. Um, Where are you at then? All right, it should be, uh, it says the two beasts at the top left. There's a dragon on it. Revelation 13 is on the right, that's the passage we're in. Did somebody say there's a dragon on that page? Okay. Oh, yes, there's a dragon. The coming of there you go. There he is. Okay. He's cute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's good when we've got uh, the old clip art that we can throw in there. Um, so this beast of the earth is known as the false prophet. Um, he is, again, if you look at chapter 16, 19, 20, you'll see him mentioned through the book of Revelation. This beast represents probably one of two things. Um, he's either a power or movement, or he is an actual human that works alongside of the Antichrist. Um, hard telling. You know, it's really hard to say who this person is. Some would say, well, it's, it's a movement. And I would probably say, well, you're probably right. And then some would say it's a human. And I would say, yeah, you're probably right. Um, it could be both. It's probably both. Uh, don't know. But the reality is, is this person is a prophet or the false prophet. Remember, all through the Gospels, through the New Testament, there was always a warning, watch out for false prophets. And so he is the false prophet, capital T-H-E. So as we go, is that kind of hard to read? I think I'm just sitting too far away. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my eyes are the greatest. I get that. So yeah. uh, it's funny. Uh, speaking of that, I normally wear contacts. and um, But when I wear contacts, I become farsighted, which is the weirdest thing. You know, my, my eye doctor always said, well, Randy, you're hitting your 50s and you're going to be starting to get farsighted. And I never did. Uh, but when I put contacts in, I'm farsighted. So then I have to wear glasses that have no script, but they've got bifocals in them. So now I'm going through two different lenses. 
And now I'm just wearing these, but when I wear these, I can't read. I have to take them off to read. So yeah, you talk about somebody that's... that's I know, it's confusing. I hear you. Uh, so um, he is distinguished with two horns. Um, that may be in contrast to the two witnesses. We don't know for sure, but seems to suggest that. The horns represent power, whereas we have a lamb suggests religion or religious power. And so we have this individual that is going to be very powerful. He, he is going to be not your typical, you know, um, grand megachurch pastor. It's going to be a person that does have power. Uh, and the power is going to be given to him by Satan. And again, he's going to very often mimic the very things that the Holy Spirit does in, in uh, respect to the Trinity. He is the third member of the evil Trinity. Um, he's an imitation of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he comes from the earth. So uh, one comes, the Antichrist comes from the sea symbolically. He comes from the earth symbolically. Um, so as we begin to see this person kind of unfold, you'll notice that there's a lot of things that are representative of his character um, and some things that we probably need to be looking out for. Uh, when you're done with that slide, let me know and I'll go to the next one. Everybody good? Almost good. He symbolizes religious power. Um, you need to be very aware that what he symbolizes is this one world religious system that that's what he's going to be a proponent of one religious system it's in fact it, it's very common today actually that uh, uh our history i'm i'm united brethren i grew up united brethren i've always been in the united brethren church um one of the characteristics of the United Brethren church back in the late 1800s was we split away from we called them the liberals and um, we were the radicals. Anyway, one of the reasons we split away was because they, um, they wanted to include into membership lodge members. Um, and we said no. And the reason for that was because, and it is very, it's true today, but it was uh, very apparent back then, lodge members, maybe not as apparent back then, it's become very apparent today, lodge membership was very inclusive meaning that you could have multiple different religious backgrounds and faiths and you were included. And it was a religious institution, though they didn't call themselves that, they were. Uh, in fact, I had a seminary professor that told me that he had done a funeral one time and this individual was a lodge member and his lodge came in and they said, we would like to have a part of the service. Well, typically when a, when a pastor does a service, he is the person in control of the service. So anybody else being a part of it needs to filter through him. Well, this pastor said, you're welcome to have a part of the service, but it will be after the service is completely done and people are, have left the room. And so they went in after everybody was gone and they baptized the deceased. So that is a practice that you will find. They won't tell you that all the time, but you will find often in certain lodges where they baptize the dead. Um, yeah, it's kind of odd. Um, I mean, honestly, who wants to get wet again? Uh, yeah. Even if you're deceased, it's like you're going to smear the makeup and everything else. But they baptized him, and but that was their that was their um, means of entry into eternity. Um, so there was a lot of different religious practices that came into that practice. What would that have anything to do with? Peace of mind. Entry into eternity. I don't know. Being dumped and wet. And yeah, I mean, I would much rather do it when I was alive. But uh, the Masonic Lodge is one. There's a like a Mason. Mason, yes, yeah. Um, we light a candle. It has Catholic Church undertones. I mean, light a candle. They bring your dead loved one into paradise. Yeah. Kind of that same sort of. There's some great unnecessary stuff. Yeah. There's some great texts out there. If you ever want to do a little study on the lodge, it's it's actually a very interesting read. Um, Ankerberg, um, Stephen Ankerberg, I can't think of his first well, name. What lodge though? No, the lodge. The, the lodge, Masons. There's a lot of different lodges. Um, El, well, 
there's some, yeah, if they call themselves a lodge, then they would, you know, now the Lions Club, that's not a lodge. No. Um, that's, that's an organization. Yeah. Um, rotary, that type of thing. But the Masons, um, the Eastern Stars, that's the female side of the lodge. And it's, and the thing is, well, I, I will say, I mean, what does the lodge do well? They great chicken dinners. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of how they want to get you in, but they will never tell you what lies at the core and how to get there. And they, that remains secret. Whereas from script, from a scriptural vantage point, we say nothing is secret. Um, I've read plenty about the Masons, the Eastern stars, and they try to recruit me. Under the guise of, Oh, we love Christ. And God and all of that stuff. Right. But then I went to their party to try to get in, and uh, no. <laughs> Goodbye. No. See you later. Yeah. Great yeah. parties, though. I'm right. sure. Great parties, but uh, it's not of Christ, and there's a lot of debauchery that goes on, and so yeah. parties are great. Yeah. So very inclusive. I started reading. I started reading a lot about the. Mason and the Eastern Stars. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that was a rabbit trail, but I just thought that would be something interesting to kind of, you know, wet your whistle. I lost my signal. Who was the author you mentioned? I think it's Stephen. His last name's Ankerberg. He does a lot of like video clips and um, various other things that you can watch. And one of them he does is he he talks about the lodge. And he does a really good job of really describing what is at the core of the lodge, and there are individuals in there that um, that will um, that were from the lodge that have escaped, I guess, and they share. Yeah, it's it's very good. Okay. Okay. Why didn't I lose my signal? Stepped on the core. Took too long. Yeah, pro- that's probably it. I was talking too much. Is is the orange cord plugged in? Yep. Okay, that's weird. Let's try this. Does it say you got no power? Yeah, it says my battery. Well, it says my battery went dead too, so. Well, that could be it. There we go. There it is. There, there it is. It's coming. This computer seems to want, it's kind of persnickety. Persnickety? I can remember Good deal. Um, let's see, where was I at? He is, uh, he, he symbolizes religious power. His evil teaching will be intensified because of its deceptive similarity to the truth. Uh, so there will be similarities that people will gravitate towards. Um, so that's something to kind of be aware of. He is subservient to the beast of the sea, the Antichrist. His job is to focus everybody's attention on the Antichrist. The Antichrist will try to focus people's attention on the devil, but it will he will be setting himself up as a representative of the devil. And then finally, he uses his authority to force people to worship the beast from the sea. So... He's going to be an individual of power. Um, so those are some things. That's part of his character. Um, uh, no, no, no. Where was I at? His miracles are next on the paper. He will use miracle, miraculous signs to deceive people into following the Antichrist. Um, if you go back to Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. Um, so if that were possible, and again, the elect meaning, uh, depends on how you define elect, but how the, the elect would be the church. Does it mean that they will deceive the church? Um, potentially, but it means if that were possible. So why do we study this? Why do we prepare? Why do we want to get people grounded in the scriptures so that they can use the scriptures as their sword and to, to defend themselves? Yes. And Matthew 24, 25 says, quoting Jesus, See, I have told you ahead of time. Ahead of time. Yes, good. Um, 
The I'll give you a few things. Uh, no, we're not getting there yet. What's that? Fire from heaven. Yes. Now I will apologize. Um, like I said, these notes are pretty exhaustive. They're lengthy, so I'm going to kind of breathe anything that is not like I don't have highlighted. I apologize. I'm going to go through it, and so I probably won't fill in all your blanks. However, I will send you my notes so that you have those blanks filled in. Um, so if anything doesn't get filled in today, just bear with me and send me a note uh, to my email and I will forward that document to you and you can have the whole thing. Um, and you can use it if you want, um, <laughs> if it makes sense. Um, so yes, you're welcome to do that. Um, there's several things about him that are in your notes though. Um, Fire from heaven is similar to the revealing of God through the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Elijah. This is something that you'll see. He's going to deceive the inhabitants of the earth because they will believe that he is God. And so there will be this, ooh, because of his miraculous signs, you know, and that we see through scripture. Oh, miraculous signs. People come rushing. You might think that that's a little far-fetched. How many of you remember several years ago in Ohio, people saw the image of Mary on the side of a silo. Do you remember that? Yeah. Happened a long time ago. People came rushing. How many times have we seen other people uh, rush to these? Uh, one was uh, an image of Mary where blood was actually coming down as tears. People rush to this stuff. And, you know, it's the reality is this. It's like it shows us how easily people can be deceived um, and how they can get swayed. So, you know, I, I share that with you. The same thing is going to happen. They're going to be deceived and swayed because of his power. Um <clears throat> Let me, let me see if I want. I'm going to skip ahead. We are now at the middle point of the tribulation period, down at the bottom. Again, I apologize. I'm not going to fill in all the blanks, but we're at the middle point. This is the place where you begin to see again the six and one model that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, there's going to be this, this oh, uh, let's take a commercial break. And then we're going to come back to the subject matter that we were talking about earlier. And then he does it again. So now we're at the middle point, and there is a section where we begin to talk about the lamb. And uh, so as we get into that, notice uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Um, now, is that the trumpet of the seven trumpets? I don't know seems to suggest that. I mean, I don't see the scriptures trying to be confusing, but it seems to suggest that for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That's where some believe in the pre-wrath uh, uh, rapture of the church, that right before God's final opening of the bowl judgments, that he comes down and takes his church and rescues us from that final wrath. Um, don't know. Uh, and, you know, if you ask me, you know, Randy, do you do you believe conclusively that that is the case? I would say I don't come really. I don't believe a lot of conclusive things when I go through this. I just kind of go along thinking, hmm, makes sense. However, uh, you know, I'm not going to jump in there. So we talk about this this lamb um, when we get into Revelation 14, and the lamb is Christ. And uh, if you look all through Scripture, God reveals Himself again through thunder. And um, am I? In, you see where I'm at? You go, that's not in here. That's not. Does it say Revelation 14 at the top right anywhere? Yeah, yeah. you gotta go yeah. back a few pages from there. Oh, you gotta back up now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That is my goal in life is to create confusion. <laughs> so. It's yeah. on our toes. It's on the um. Bold judgments. Okay. Is it before bold judgments? It should sit. Yep, and if you look top right, it'll have Revelation 14. Revelation 14. My Revelation 14 is Is that what it said? Yes, coming to Christ. Coming to Christ. That's it. It's, I apologize, too. It's been a long time, actually. I taught this. The last time I taught this class was to a group of seven high schoolers. Oh, and that was miserable. Um, it, I mean, the, the looks on their faces were like, you know, and I asked them, I said, hey, do you, would you like, oh, yeah, we'd love to, to have a class like that. Okay. So I started teaching, and man, the blank stares I got. I finally said, you know, maybe we should figure out something else that's a little bit more, you know, age appropriate and um, for, that they could remember. Now, um, we also talked about the lamb. If you go down, there's a section that says the 144,000. 
um, that we see in chapter 7. We see them in chapter 9. There are four characteristics of the 144,000, and I'm just giving this to you briefly. Um, We know that they are spiritually chaste, meaning they are pure. Um, They are individuals that are um, redeemed, you might say. So they are spiritually chaste. This is down about midway through your notes. They follow Christ wherever he goes. Where'd you find that? Do I got it? We'll get it. We'll get it. We, we have doubles and triples of one of them in there. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, because we were in the harvest we'll of the... We'll find it. Keep going. All right. Um, they are the first... Jew, some believe that they are the first Jewish converts. Um, even though today we have Jewish converts, Messianic Jews. Uh, and uh, it was in, I was in Israel one year, and our guide, amazing guide... Uh, but he is Jewish. He's he's not a Messianic Jew. And I asked him one day, I said, how do you explain those today that would call themselves Messianic Jews in relation to those that call themselves Jews? And he immediately, I mean, actually kind of curt, said, they're not, they're not Jews. And I said, well, what are they? They're Christians. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, that's that's the way it is. There's no such thing in his, his mind as a Messianic Jew. Once you, once you become a Christian, you're a Christian. And I thought, okay, interesting. I, and so that's kind of where the conversation actually came to an abrupt halt. And uh, then we kind of went on to some other conversations. But in his mind, um, and he knows, he knows more about Jesus Christ than most of us do. Yeah. Um, he walks us through, from Jeru- in, when we walk through Jerusalem and through the Holy Land, he would tell us in the New Testament, this is where this story took place. And so he went through the whole thing. And, and somebody asked him one time, what is keeping you from faith? And he says, you don't understand. From a Jewish perspective, to come to faith means you abandon everything. You lose everything. Family, job often, everything. And he said, so for somebody of a Jewish descent to do that, means that they've made a radical life change. Um, and mean, it, it's not like us, you know, oh, one week we go to a, uh, you know, an evangelistic service, we go to the altar, give our hearts to Christ, we go back to work on Monday. You know, that's not what happens when they come to Christ. Um, so if, even though the Messianic community in Jerusalem and in, in Israel is exploding, um, people are coming to Christ left and right. Uh, so it is, it is making an inroad. Um, so these individuals, they're Jewish converts, and they were, are without blemish. Why that is, um, don't know. I, I can't explain that. You know, and, and uh, that will be, if you look under the 144,000, then under there, there's four characteristics yeah. of those individuals, and they are without blemish. I guess I can skip that ahead. No, I can't. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Okay, what's the other three? The other three, hang on. Spiritually chased. Follow Christ wherever he goes. First Jewish converts. And they are without blemish. <coughs> so what would that mean, without blemish? I mean, we all we all have sin. So what does that what some does that indicate? It some uh, wonder if these aren't people that have been um, glorified. I'm not real sure to be honest. It's just that when we look at the scriptures and, and that description of them, being that they are human beings that. You know, either that one at one point they were um, typical humans. I mean, we're all we're all cursed with sin. Um, so I'm not real sure. Um, it's one of those like, hmm. I can't wait till that day comes to find out like who is that uh, and how are these people considered to be chaste and unblemished? Um, is has it been something? I don't honestly. I don't know. Um, and uh, but it's worth study for sure to try to find out like. Who is this group of people? Um, it, the Bible tells us that there's 12,000. So some would say they're Jewish. Others would say, nope, 
they're the church. Um, and I've heard some say, you know, just all sorts of different things to describe who these people are and, you know, and their purpose. Uh, so now if you're a Jehovah witness, you, you know who the 144,000 are. Well, no, they don't, but they claim, yeah, they claim they know, uh, you know, until they had 144,000 and then they, they were the special, special ones. Uh, interesting story. I was at a family's house for dinner one night and, uh, we were visiting them and the wife was the wife of the couple was making dinner and noticed a car drive in their driveway and two guys got out with ties and white shirt and she said to her husband mike she said um i think there's mormons here and he he goes well what do you want me to do and she goes can you send them away we're gonna have dinner he goes i'm not gonna do it you do it she goes i'm not gonna do it and i said i'll do it <laughs> so I got up from the table and I walked out and uh, these two young men walked up and I, Hey guys, how's it going? And I sat down on the steps and they sat with me and they said, uh, they started chatting. I didn't tell them I wasn't the homeowner. And, uh, so they started chatting with me and I said, you know, I said, I really, really appreciate that information. I said, can I ask you a question that has been plaguing me for a long time? And they said, sure. I mean, now I've got them like cooked. And, uh, I said, help me understand is it not true from Mormon theology that they believe that there's just one God, one God only, but the scriptures seem to suggest that God loves community. And if God loves community, that means he has to be community. And to be community means he has to be more than one person. So how do you explain that and explain away Christ and the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden, there was like this blank look on their face. And they said, you seem to be a little versed in the scriptures. And I said, ah, I just dabble in it once in a while. And so, so these guys are like, well, I'm, I'm not sure we could answer that. My uncle used to invite them in. And uh, he'd invite them inside and have them sit down. And he would just thrash them, you know, and ask gently and gracefully ask them these questions. One time he told me he almost had a guy converted. Uh, he almost had him kneeling at the couch, giving his life to Jesus Christ. And the other guy grabbed him and pulled him out. So anyway, you know, that's just the kind of stuff that, you know, when we think about the the church and the stuff that happens. And, and again, I, I love it when I hear stories of believers that invite them in and sit down with them and just ask them those those questions. Tell me, how do you answer this? And what is your theology about? So how did your thing end up? Uh, they basically got up and said, um, you you seem to be versed in the scriptures and and I said well you know again I dabble in it and they I they I said I said I'd love to talk further if you guys would be interested yeah we'd love it I said well I tell you what there's this building north of town um, that I'll be at my car is a green car and I said you'll often see it I said stop by anytime I would love to have you stop in okay okay well I never saw him so. Um, so they just moved on to the next house so. Um, now, we're going to get into a section that talks about these angels. There's three angels. Again, I'm skipping through this really quick. Um, but when we get into the scriptures, there's these three angels that come and they make proclamations. Um, so the first angel proclaims the eternal gospel to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, the question is, is does this mean that these individuals now have another chance to accept the gospel? Probably not. Some would say no. What they're doing is proclaiming the gospel to prove to them you had the gospel before you. Now we're proclaiming it, and now you will not be able to accept it. So these angels come. The first angel proclaims the gospel. The second angel proclaims the fall of the Antichrist kingdom. So this is at the second three and a half years. Some believe the Antichrist kingdom is at Rome. Some is at Babylon. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I've read many people that, oh, everything seems to point to Rome because there's like these hills and there's all these kingdoms. And I, I just, I just know this. I said, the day is going to come and we're going to understand it. He will proclaim the fall of his world economic and political system and his religious system led by the beast of the earth. Um, or eventually this, they call it the harlot, um, and so we're going to get into this section of scripture where there's two women. Um, so, and I don't want you to be confused by who those 
individuals are. Um, then there's the third angel. This one proclaims what is going to happen to those that have accepted the mark of the beast. Um, so uh, people ask regularly, like, the mark of the beast, What is? is it a tattoo, you know? On my forehead. Am I going to look like a dork when I have this tattoo up here? You know, and most people will fit right in if they get them on the wrist. But um, there's a lot of people, there's different authors that have said that the mark of the beast isn't going to be a visible mark. It's going to be a technological system that will um, be ushered in. Well, they're already starting that. With they already sticking chips, chips, chips in you here yeah. and there and for whatever you do and wherever you go. Yeah. And I read one book that actually um, said that the technology is out there and, and, and it very well could be where eventually we go to a one world monetary system, cashless society, you know, and it would be a chip here that would actually read your fingerprints or a chip in the forehead where it would read your retina. Um, you basically go to the grocery store and you'd look in the scanner and it would scan and basically you would have to know, exchange no cash. It would just take it right out of your account. And everything would be done, or you put your hand down and scan it. Well, then people always said, well, what if you go and chop somebody's hand off and go up there and lay it on the scanner? Well, it would actually, it would read whether you had a heartbeat. Um, and for some people, some would probably put it up there, no heartbeat. Um, but, uh, so that's out there. Yes. I was just going to say, that's going to be easier to accept than you think, because they have put into our minds so much to accept anything that seems easier right. for us to do. So I don't have to get cash out and give it to the cashier. Oh, it's just easier to just put my chip up there. Right. So it's going to be an easy thing. Now, and, and I really believe, too, that when that day comes, and I'm not, I, I don't know if that's the direction that things will go. It sure seems to lead that way. Because people will say, well, that's, I mean, we're there today. Things are so easy, and they've made things so easy. I, I want people to understand it, that there's going to be this agreement that a person will have to um, accept a religious system, a monetary system. You're going to have to accept various things that um, will be very apparent in, in my mind for those that know the truth. Um, so, you know, I, I let people know that it's not something that's going to sneak in on you, I don't believe that we'll be, we'll be unaware of. I really think that we're going to be, it's going to be something that's apparent. Um, but today, yes, there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to be easily deceived, I think. And um, so definitely we need to be ready that, for that. Um, this angel also proclaims, I'm not sure if that's, proclaims to the saints that they need to, um, to wait just a little longer. Um, what does that mean? Um, well, if you look at um, verse uh, Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are when you and people insult you, persecute you, and so on. And many of you know that. Um, this angel, who are they talking to? Well, again, it, it depends on where you fall regarding where is the church during this time. <coughs> are, who, and who are the saints? You know, are the saints the, a particular group of people? Everybody has a different interpretation. Um, the reality is, like I've said, hope for the best, be prepared for the worst. You know, if the church is here, this angel is saying to them, hang on, things are about to change, you know, because, you know, things could potentially be bad. Um, now, there is, uh, and I'll go back to that rapture question, there have been some that have said that there's two raptures, um, that there's one at the beginning for the, um, how do I say this, the the pure church or the, the Philadelphia Smyrna church. Then there's one later. Um, I, that's a stretch for me, um, but there are some that, that hold to that. And there are individuals that say, no, the church does not have to go through this tribulation period. Again, I would always go back and say the first three and a half years, is a time of peace. It's a false peace, but it's a time of peace. So can we call that truly a tribulation time or a, a persecuted time? The scriptures seem to suggest it's going to be, it's going to be deceptive. Uh, and then there will be this moment when all of a sudden things will explode. Questions? Do you think we'll know when that starts? The three and a half years that we are around? I... 
I think, this is just me, I've always said that the thing we need to watch for is the rebuilding of the temple. That is what is the sign. Now, when does that happen? Well, somewhere in there, this world leader, I think the scriptures seem to suggest that he's going to make this covenant. And it's a covenant that nobody else has been able to make. Uh, a covenant, and then they will be able to begin to rebuild the temple. Now, like I said before, uh, from what I've read, they're ready to rebuild the temple in three days. Um, everything's ready. So, you know, it's going to be one of these, you know, it's not going to be this gradual, you know, hey, we're building the World Trade Centers. It's going to be this, we're ready now, and it's going to go up in a flash. But so, the, But the thing with that is that we're really going to have to pay attention. Right. Because... There's so much other crap going around that that kind of thing is never brought into TV, whatever, that any of the news things that we watch or right. that's on there, because they aren't going to tell you that. Yep. That's why we should really, in a way, watch our news, but watch foreign news. Right. We have access to a publication called Jewish Times, yeah. being in Chicago, and we should probably start figuring out something again. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and those are far more informative. Oh, yeah. Because it's a direct. But how do you get something like that? Because I don't know. Joe Rosenberg. Joe Rosenberg. I don't know if those are available by subscription to Jewish Christian. Or not. Yeah. For other, you know, to mail that out. I'm not sure where they're published. I don't know if it's just in Chicago. Or, you know, I just don't know. Is that a Messianic Jew, Jewish publication? It is not. Okay. But it is. It does talk a lot about. What's going on in the Middle East? Sure. Joel Rosenberg, also the one that wrote all the those novels that are about that kind of come true. Joel Rosenberg, he has a, a blog and he you can sign up for it and get it. And he, okay. t- he moved his family from the United States to Jerusalem and he gives he's right, he's got his finger on the pulse. He's met with the leaders. And, okay, yeah. good, yeah. There's stuff out there that we that we can you know stay stay connected to, um, and and honestly, I mean, as much of the controversy that we see in the Middle East with the Jews and the Arabs, you know, we generally speaking, we our news doesn't do a great job and tends to side on the side of the Arabs often, but they at least communicate that there are things going. But that's the one thing that I've always tended to lean towards is just watch for that moment. Um, and, you know, and again, knowing the truth and the truth will set you free is the, is the main thing is just being very much aware of what's taking place. But again, I will say this. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. So, so that moment, where does where again does that fall in timeline of that seven year period when that built? Somewhere in the first three and a half years. So it could happen right before the midpoint, then technically, right? Could we don't know? Could okay, or yeah. it could be the very beginning. We just one of those things we don't know. Yeah, uh, um, uh, my my guess is that there's going to be some time in there once it's it's rebuilt. There'll be some time. Uh, because eventually the Antichrist basically then destroys it. Um, so right. it's, I, I, I mean, in my mind, I'm not going to say he's going to build it one day and then the next day bring in the cranes and knock it down. Yeah. Uh, it would seem that he's going to allow this, this um, celebration to take place, and then he's going to turn his back on the Jews, and he's going to turn his back um, on everybody and set himself up in that, in that temple. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and that's the that's the beauty of all, all this stuff is we j- just don't have our our we just don't know the timing, um, you know. And I, I think it's good. That's why I always say, you know, be earth. You know, our focus is supposed to be here. You know, our focus is not supposed to be like waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, I've I've been there and I've had friends that have just read every document that they can on end times eschatology, and I get to the point where it's like, you know, it's good to be aware. Be ready, but don't get so sucked into it that we forget what the angels said to the disciples, and that's get busy. You know, our job is to be the church. And give us your quote again. Uh, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I was going to say, in other words, aren't we supposed to still be out there witnessing, trying to bring souls to Christ? Oh, absolutely. So they will not have to go through all of this. Right. It's good to know this. Okay, we need to have the information, 
And we still, like you said, have to be busy out there witnessing in these folks. Well, and I think, too, that the church really needs to begin to think about why are they, what are they doing as the church? Because the day, I mean, we just saw that with this whole COVID thing. Um, years ago, when I was a pastor in Ohio, a tornado went through Toledo and South Toledo and tore apart everything. Um, and there was a church, um, the church I attended um, immediately opened up a food bank, immediately opened up a clothing bank because there was all these people that had every, that lost everything. There was a school building that was completely demolished. Thank the Lord, there was nobody in the building, but it completely demolished the school, uh, the high school. And uh, our, we opened our doors immediately and people came flooding there to get groceries, to get all sorts of things that they couldn't get. And, you know, I sat there and it's like, this is what we're all about. So the thing that I would say for any church is don't get so caught up in the routine of doing church. The COVID-19 thing, I think, has really opened up doorways. Um, you know, a lot of folks are like, when can we get back to worship? When can we be, you know, and it, for me, it's been, you know, that's great. But we want to understand what does it mean to be the church during this time? And how can we use this? to get our message into the homes of people, our neighbors, um, calling people, even if it's, you know, what a great opportunity to call people and say, are you okay? You know, and, and uh, do you have food? Do you have what you need? You know, what's going on? And, um, and, and There's a new movement in California, um, Huntington Beach, and they have services and baptisms on the beach, and, and their motto is the church has left the building. Good. Yeah. We've said uh, no more bricks and mortar, you know, for us. And how can we, in fact, right now, um, I'm letting the cat out of the bag, but we are in the process at Callwood of attempting to start a house church. Um, and our intention is, is not just to have a group of people that stay a group of people, but our intention is what a great opportunity. They're already meeting in groups and homes. Let's, let's transplant some people. And, and I, I told Kelly the other day, I said, if we do this, that means we're going to have to get rid of our, our good leadership. You know, it means we're going to have to, like, cut the umbilical cord with some of the people that we really appreciate. And and she just looked at me and she said, yep. And I said, got to be ready for that. We're going to lose. But I believe that when we get rid of good, le- I shouldn't say get rid of good leadership. When we, um, when we send out, when we, when, we, when we outsource and send out good leadership, the Lord has this funny way of siphoning in new. Um, and that's, you know, for me, again, it goes back to this mentality of develop and send, develop and send. And when you do that, the Lord always seems to bring in somebody else that will f- slide right in. And, uh, and we just lost one of our worship um, uh, young man, uh, Austin. We just lost him to another church. He applied for a position and um, we encouraged him. And uh, it was a it was a 20 hour a week position, a pretty fairly large church. And. Um, we, we, we would love to have kept him, but, and he was really growing. Byron, our worship guy was just spilling into him all the time and he got hired. Um, so then it was like, okay, okay. now we just lost kind of a key cog for where we were moving. And it's like, that's what we said we want to do. Lord will provide and he'll fill that gap. Um, so anyway, that's one of the things that we're looking at right now is how can we better be the church and, uh, and not wait for this day, because this day is going to come on us, like the Bible says, a thief in the night. So do we want to be prepared? And it's like, yes, this is what we want to be prepared. This is what we're made for. Um, and so I encourage your churches to really think about that. So go ahead. We need to stop being so political. Sure. And start being spiritual. Yeah. And, and really start to figure out what does it mean to reach our unchurched neighbor and stop with the, some of the stuff that just drives us, you know, and, um, and, and you're right. So uh, we have a saying in the United Brethren Church, um, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Have you heard, is it the same for you guys? The Evangelical Presbyterian Church has that saying. Well, it was ours first, so I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, it was ours. So, 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 they had the same. A great model, you know, in essentials, unity, and what are the essentials? Um, and that is where you have to sit back and say, These are the essentials. Um, but this, yeah, this other stuff, these are fun things to study, they're non essentials. You know, when does the rapture happen? 
non-essentials. Right. We need to get back to the essentials, and that and part of that is the Great Commission and reaching our neighbor and so on. Um, okay, the bold judgments are on uh, page. Oh shoot, I wish I had page numbers for you. Um, it says bold judgments at the top, Revelation 15 and 16. Is it towards the end? Or? Yeah. Oh, no, it's actually 22, page 22, if you can count pages. I pulled the PDF version of it. There you go. There's no pages, unfortunately, and I gave them two different copies, so it's like sitting here juggling these two. But did you find the bold judgments? Yep. Okay. We're now at the, remember, there's the six and one, six and one, six and one. So you've got six seals, then there's a break. Then he gets the seventh seal, and he opens the seventh seal, Jesus, the only one that can open the seals. Seventh seal is seven trumpets. So now we got the seven trumpets. Six trumpets are blown, which are always an announcement of partial judgment. And then the seventh trumpet is blown, and then the bowls. And the bowls are complete judgment. There is no, hmm, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. It's going to be complete, um, poured out. So the bowl judgments constitute what the scriptures call the third woe. Um, and the, as we look at the bowl judgments, this will pass. Uh, this will actually in, uh, pass out the complete judgment of God, and the seven angels are actually a part of that. Uh, the seven angels uh, cried out during the trumpet judgments, and then we also know that as they begin to pour these out, there's a section there where it says um, there is this phrase "It is finished." It says in the Bible there are three times three times the phrase "It is finished" is used. You see where I'm at? Okay, it's right under. Uh, tri the triumphant victors in about the uh, third way down. Oh, there it is. And then under that, you go down to point one, two, three, and then there's the bold judgments constitute the third woe. Um, Where are you? That's right. See triumphant victors? Yeah. Okay. Go down a little bit further. There's point one, two, and three. Yeah. Then there's the bold judgments constitute the third woe. Third woe. I know I'm skipping over stuff, so hang on. Okay. Then there's point one and two that talk a little bit about the judgments and the angels and how they carry out the divine plan of God. But I want to get to this section on, in the Bible, there are three times the phrase, it is finished, is used. Um, and this is important. Um, the first one is at the cross. Jesus was on the cross, and what did he say? It is finished. There were seven phrases that he used, or words, or what... It is finished, um, and then he gave up, gave up his life. Um, the other one is in Christ's prayer for starting of the church in John chapter 17, when he prayed for the church and the disciples, and he said to in his prayer, "It is finished," meaning I have completed the the project or the the uh, ministry, whatever. I have completed what I came to do, which was prepare the disciples. And that was his primary task. Uh, some would say, well, you know, his task was to evangelize. Nope, it wasn't. Uh, it was to heal the sick. Nope, it wasn't. His task was to prepare the disciples. That's it. Um, the rest of the other things that he did, those were just extracurricular. Um, so when he said in his prayer, it is finished, that was what he was saying in his prayer to the Father was, I've completed the task that you have given me. Then, number three, following the bold judgments in Revelation 16. It is finished. God's wrath now has been poured out on his creation, and that's where we hear that phrase, it is finished. Now, there are also three times in Scripture where God judges. Um, three times where God pours out his judgment. One of them is with Egypt, obviously, when he, gave, when he poured out the plagues. Um, then there's the trumpet judgments, and then there's the bowl judgments. Um, God's judgment has been on various other things, right but what was the, it now? there is the uh, Egypt is the first one. The trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. Trumpet judgments were on a third of creation. The bowl judgments were complete, all of creation. This would be one of those moments when we really pray that we're in the bleachers in heaven and we can watch from a long ways away because uh, this is going to be devastating. Do not want to be the person 
that is on earth at this time. Um, Let's kind of, what time are we at? Okay. Let's kind of move on into the bowl judgments. There's a section where I lay out the bowl. Bowl number one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, yeah. Do you see that? Yep. We got them right, All right. here. The, this isn't where I wanted to be. Hang on. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it to you. I don't think it's up here. <laughs> I feel sorry for our secretary because I gave her these notes and I, I I highlighted what I wanted on slides, and I had eighty pages. <laughs> it was Becky. Becky's Becky's been in there, and I I handed it to her. I said, "Have you ever done like slides on Keynote or anything like that?" Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay, I'm gonna send you something. <laughs> so she's, she's a temporary. Girl. She's a temporary secretary. Yeah. Works like twelve hours a week, and, and she just started. And uh, I said, "I got a task for you," and I gave it to her. <laughs> she came. She probably looked at you and went, we'll pray for her. I think she came in and threw something down in my office and said I quit. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Let's talk about the bowl judgments. I'm going to kind of walk through those quickly. Uh, first bowl is ugly and painful sores broke out on those with the mark of the beast. Now, I, mean, I gave you in, your, in there this correlation. The bowl judgments to the plagues. Remember the plagues of Exodus. There is an interesting correlation. Um, so we've got in Exodus 9, the same thing was symbolic of the sixth e Egyptian plague. So there's painful sores broke out on those with the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. Bowl 2, the seas turned into blood. Um, <coughs> symbolic of the first Egyptian plague. Bowl 3, drinking water to blood. Um, we Obviously, we saw that earlier as we saw these things kind of unfold. Now, again... You watch the Discovery Channel, they always are trying to figure this out scientifically. You know, well, maybe in the area of Egypt during the plagues, there is this red something or other that got washed into the water and then it killed the, the and it's like, okay, you know, I, I'll give you that. You know, and the thing is, and people have said, and some have said, well, no, that isn't. God said that it was blood. And it's like, well, okay, it seems to say it looked like blood. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to refute science in regards to the plagues. I'm going to say this: God works through science, and He can do anything He wants. Exactly. So if He says He wants to do one thing that leads into the next, into the next, into the next, that's His prerogative, and He can do it. And what's that? He invented science. He did. And so, I, you know, that tends to be a direction that I think. Okay, did God turn it into literal blood? He could have. Yes. He could have also done something scientifically that seemed to be that way. Regardless, God's in control. And, and I've said that all along. Amen. Bowl number four, power given to the sun to scorch. Probably not going to have uh, any SPF stuff that's going to work during this time. Um, bowl five, darkness on the throne of the beast. Fine. Kind of funny that, you know, we saw the same thing, darkness on Egypt, darkness on the throne. Can you imagine wherever that place is, it's going to be dark. Darkness on the, what is it? It's going to be darkness on the throne of the beast. And then bowl six, the water dried up in the Euphrates River. To prepare the way for the kings from the east... Yep, that'll be a group that comes down and they're getting ready to attack Jerusalem. Um, now, interesting, if you go back into Genesis and in the Garden of Eden, it says there were four rivers. Yes. And one of them was the Euphrates. Mm -hmm. So um, I've always wondered, you know, Babylon, could it be possible that the Garden of Eden, because Babylon is called, the, you know, it's the place of the harlot, it's yeah. place of sin, could it be possible that that was the place that the Garden of Eden was? Mm -hmm. And now it's a desert, you know, so it's like, hmm. Mm -hmm. Always made it, always. The flood changed. Changed a lot. The surface of the earth. Right. And uh, so I've, I just always wondered that. It's like. I think a lot of scholars do believe that the Garden was in the rock. Right. The Tigris and the Euphrates. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and we know where two rivers are. Yeah. Uh, we just don't know where the other two are. And uh, even though some have done some sort of research to see that they think they have found some spots where another couple rivers 
might be, but anyway, reality is, is that that, that river is dried up. Um, so basically water is gone. Uh, it's, it's a miserable, miserable time. Um, and the funny thing is, is even then the Bible says that people will curse God. Um, you know, so it kind of goes back to the days of Noah that they have come to full evil, uh, at that point in time. Um, William R. Newell says, if men are not one by grace, they will never be one. Uh, and I, I love that phrase. So then there's bowl seven. That one is poured out. And that is when we begin to see Armageddon. Uh, the, this is where we begin to see the kings of the world will be assembled. And there will be this war that will take place. I actually, when I was in Israel, I saw uh, the, the Valley of Megiddo. And it's a huge, huge valley. The Bible seems to suggest that, it will, that blood will be up to the bridle of the horses. So there will be these kingdoms that will descend on Jerusalem. And then there will be this heavenly battle that will take place. And it will be carnage. Um, and uh, so that's where we begin to see this bull seven. Um, it's going so to... What do we put in the blank? Satanic trinity. There by Armageddon? Hmm? Does it say bowl seven? Yeah. seven okay. The satanic trinity. Armageddon. Armageddon. Okay. In this uh, this valley too is where you saw um, different other battles that took place. Uh, Gideon, Barak, uh, different other. Uh, this is where King Saul lost his life. Um, this whole thing is going to affect Satan's dominion. Um, everything is just going to come to pieces. So uh, this is yeah. it's not what a good time. What was that little quip you gave us before? If what? If men are not saved by grace, they won't be saved. They won't. If men are not one by grace, they will never be one. <laughs> one <coughs> by grace. Oh, here it's a great harlot. It's been here. Yeah. What? Oh, well, here. She found it. Found it? It's already. She should have brought a highlighter. <laughs> there is, uh, my fact, mom and dad told me about one of his pastors um, growing up, and he was uh, a big guy, very loud, and uh, I still to this day, I can't imagine a pastor especially calling his wife this, but he would call his wife a Jezebel. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and some of you probably remember, that was actually a common phrase years and years ago. And he would, he would say, you Jezebel. And I, when my dad told me that, it's like, and how did that go over? And uh, I said, because I know if I said that to my wife, um, that, that wouldn't be popular at all. Uh, she's military trained. She's also a military police trained individual, has knives. She has weapons. So you might um, be picking up your body. I might be. Uh, there was one night I came home. I walked into our bedroom and my wife who has weapons, uh, had her weapon in her hand pointed at the door and she was ready to start shooting. And I'm like, put that down. And she said, I yelled five times and you didn't say anything. And I said, I didn't hear you yelling. And uh, so, yeah, I walked into the bedroom and she was ready to make me Swiss cheese. So, um, Ouch. yeah, so I, I lay off the whole Jezebel comment <laughs> with her. Let's talk about chapter 17 is where we see the great harlot. And I bring up Jezebel because Jezebel, there are references or there's a, a, an interesting illustration of Jezebel, even to this person. Um, so this woman is not to be confused with the woman mentioned in chapter 12. There's two women. I don't know. Uh, we got lots of triumphant victors. Yeah, I know. I keep of, repeating. What's we, one? We don't have 17. We just skips right to 19. But that's okay. Okay. Well, let me give you this. And, and again, I will send you these notes. 19. Um, Where you have 19? Can we get your email then? So oh. Yep. You ready? Uh-huh. Randy okay. at callwood.org. I know, I like the easier, the better. Um, send me an email, and I will just send you my notes, um, and those will be in order. Uh, Where's he in Revelation? What? Uh, 17. Okay, we got 14. 
Then we got not there. 15, okay. And then we got 16, then it goes to 19. Here, here's the problem with the student guide. I actually had it on my iCloud account, and um, for some reason, I cannot get into my iCloud account. I haven't been able to in months. Uh, haven't figured it out yet. So basically, a lot of my notes were there. I pulled up some, but I couldn't get all of them. So I will give you those notes, and um, and if uh, if they still don't make sense to you after I get them to you, send me an email. I will do the best I can to explain. So this woman, not to be confused with the woman of chapter 12, she is the source uh, of every idolatrous manifestation in time and space. Um, she is the unholy antithesis of the woman of the Lamb. Now, there is this woman, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, about like who is this woman of chapter 12. But this woman from chapter 17, this is kind of a, um, an, I, again, an idolatrous manifestation of evil. Um, why the woman? I don't know. Um, you know, why is the woman of chapter 12 a woman? I'm not real sure. Uh, but I will say, going back to Genesis 3, you know, people have said for a long time in Genesis 3, well, Eve was the one that ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I, I will always fight tooth and nail people on this. And I say, you might be right, but the Bible says Adam was right there. And so, you know, when we think about Adam's responsibility, what he didn't do was what we were called to do as husbands and be servant leaders. And so I, and we talked about this in a sermon not too long ago. And that was, is that the one time he should have been a servant leader, he wasn't. And so they did it together. He was the person, even though Eve might've been the one that initiated, he was the one that didn't serve well. And so, yes, now because of that, the curse of sin is passed on, not by the woman, but by the man. Um, So that's a, a whole other topic. But I share that with people, too, because a lot of times I hear, especially guys, they'll say, well, it was the chick's fault in the first place. And it's like, eh, actually, no, let's sit down and chat for a little bit. Let me pull out my Bible. Um, well, and you see, it's both kinds of sin happen simultaneously, right? Yeah. You have Eve with the sin of transgression, and you have simultaneously Adam with the sin of omission. Because yep. he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And yep. she is doing what she's not supposed to be doing. Right. Right. So there's you have both happening simultaneously in the original sin. Yep. It's a it's a uh, I love to talk to that, especially unchurched guys, because, uh, you know, when I, I have friends that are unchurched guys and, you know, and that'll come up and it's like, hmm, it's a good little inroad to sit there and and uh, talk about this. I, one of my co-workers, actually, we were we uh, opened an office for a company I worked for in Sandusky, Ohio, and not a believer. And um and uh, we had some really, really good conversations because he was a kind of a jokester and he would bring out comments like that. I'd say, you know, it's funny you said that. Um, uh, let me talk to you. And, and uh, so anyway, this, this person, um, there are a lot of things described here about her. Um, ow, and I even got these out of order, so apologize. Let me just go down through these notes quickly. I'll try to get through... This section on the great harlot, let's go down. I'll go down individually. Number one, it says the events described in this passage are a continuation of the final bowl judgments. Yeah, right. Number two, this woman is not to be confused with the woman mentioned in chapter 12. Um, She is the source of every idolatrous manifestation in time and space. Do you think she's going to be beautiful or ugly? Beautiful. Beautiful. Stunning. Stunning, yeah. She's going to be, but that's what sin is. Sin is, yes. is stunning, you know. And um, Number three, this woman is described as sitting on many waters. It's a description. Uh, this description is merely showing that her influence is worldwide, um, not just contained within a particular area. Um, further evidence of this can be seen in verse two concerning the kings of the earth and how they have been drawn into her false religion. Number four, she is described as Babylon the Great. And Babylon, anytime the word Babylon, uh, thank you, uh, anytime the word Babylon is used, it is never used popularly. Uh, it's a it's a terrible phrase. It's, um, it's, it's regarding sin, the center of sin. The people of this of the world have become drunk with abundance, power, pride, violence, and false worship. 
She is adorned in queenly attire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Says there, too, that there's a strange comparison between her beauty and wickedness. Um, her cup is filled with abomination or idolatry. Um, my wife, God bless her. Um, uh, there's been a few times at church where she's seen some young girls wearing maybe dresses that, you know, were eye-catching. Can I say that? And uh, my wife, I love her. She'll just go up to him and she'll put her arm around him and say, oh, I love that dress. You think maybe it was a little too much for today. And she just uh, so graceful. And, how, and they like, ah, oh, and, they, and they listen to her. Um, and uh, but it's funny to watch her go and and uh, she'll just she'll just she doesn't go up to him and say, how in the world could you walk out of the house with that dress or even go to a mom and say, what were you thinking? She just walks up and she just gracefully talks to them about, you know, how they look. Well, then now we understand why. And I remember I have three daughters. Two of them were getting ready for a prom or something. And I I had to take them to go pick out their dresses. And uh, so I sat in a chair outside the dressing room and threw these dresses over the top and. And uh, so they're trying them on, and they come out, and what do you think, Dad? Nope, back. <laughs> come out with another one. What do you think? Oh, put that one there. We might work on this one, and then come out. Absolutely not. Get back in there. And my girls, strangely enough, were like, thank you. You know, they didn't once complain, like, why can't I wear this? It's like, listen, I want you to enjoy yourself, but understand, I don't want you to look a part that I don't want you to live. Too provocative. Exactly. So um, that's where we begin to see this attire and, and how she dresses. She actually dresses there towards the end. It says, despite her queenly attire, the announcement on her head still shows that she is a prostitute um, and, and a harlot. So this is a, this is a conglomeration, again, of worldly evil and, and sin. I'm going to stop there. Uh, and tomorrow um, I will try to give you as much as I can. And um, will we be on chapter 19? So, do we have those notes? You will be, we'll begin 18. Does eight you have 18 in there? Okay, maybe we can get 18. Yep, I'll make sure I get copies of what I think is missing. You do have 19. We do have 19. Okay, okay, I'll make sure I get 18 for you. We might skip over parts of 18 because there's parts in it that are kind of. The, um, I, there's other parts that I would rather lean towards first, but um, again, send me an email and I will for sure send that document to you. Yeah. Well, I have a look. Good.